Today's episode is presented by Clark's. Clark's story began almost 200 years ago when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. At that time, it was groundbreaking, a combination of invention and craftsmanship that has remained at the heart of what Clark's does. From the very beginning, Clark's has always thought differently. Brilliant ideas are what set Clark's apart. And I know that my favorite pair of sandals, the ones that I can wear tromping around all day, that I can wear you know, running up and down the streets of small towns when I'm out on vacation, and my feet not be sore at the end of the day, are Clark's. And that's why I'm teaming up with Clark's in Podgo to bring you up to 30% off on select items, including on the iconic Clark's desert boot. Just go to podgo.co forward slash Clark's. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O forward slash Clark's to get that discount. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, reminding you to go to mightyparenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. And especially with today's show, I'm thinking you might want to grab that in tandem with a PDF that our guest has that she has created because they will go together very well. And in this episode today, you may want to listen via earbuds, especially if you have young children around because it might get explicit. And so I just want you to have that heads up and hit the pause button right now if you need to take a moment to pop in some earbuds or move to another location. Because today we are talking about pornography. And this is something, as I talk to other parents and my friends and my experience, what I hear and what I see is that pornography is something our parents didn't typically discuss with us as we were growing up, other than like maybe a backhanded comment or telling us that it was bad or avoid it. But there wasn't an actual conversation ever. It's also something that wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is today. Plus, the nature of porn has changed dramatically, and there's some science. They're looking into how this impacts brains. So helping us understand what's happening today and how we can take a healthy approach is Megan Maz. Megan is an assistant professor in human development and family studies. She started her career as a health educator, and when she was doing that, she developed a popular lecture series that integrates peer-reviewed information on pornography use with sexual health and violence behaviors. For the last 10 years, she's been invited to talk on this subject for audiences of students, parents, teachers, and in universities and organizations across the U.S. And today she's taking time to chat with us here at Mighty Parenting. So Megan, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thanks so much for having me. So when it comes to pornography, I think we each have kind of our own thoughts on what it is. But it also seems from going through the information you shared with me that 
talking to other parents again and friends, many of our thoughts about what our kids can and actually do find online is very outdated. (laughs) So I thought maybe we could start with you sharing with us a little bit about kind of the progression of porn and how it is so different from what we're thinking it is and and maybe what we experienced. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, pornography use is, we see that it's more prevalent among younger people than older people. And so for parents of teenagers today, uh, there's a lot of parents who may not be using pornography themselves. And so their memories of what Um, pornography was like when they were teenagers or in their early 20s is like you said outdated and so there's a few things that have changed that are important to note so one is that it's so available right so we have access to anything you'd want to see on your mobile phone so we you know when I was a teenager we would certainly stumble upon porn, you know, if a neighbor or an older cousin or somebody had a magazine, or if we were at a slumber party or something, and we were changing channels, there might be, you know, Skinamax after dark kind of thing, then we would hurry and change the channel if a parent was coming downstairs. And so there were these sort of like sneak peeks, um, Or, you know, boys would joke, you know, they'd have that one magazine that would last them all the way through high school. And today you can, there's so much porn on the internet that you can't possibly watch it all in one lifetime. So we're talking about millions of websites, but the top websites are run like YouTube and they're called tube sites. And so you can pretty much just see anything that you want. And so It's not necessarily that it's about, you know, pornography, we tend to think of, oh, it's naked people or people having sex. And that's certainly one thing. But now with today, you know, anybody with a camera and internet access can become a pornographer. And so there's a lot of posting on these free sites, you know, content that's coercive or is actual footage of sexual abuses or is... Um, you know, incest or group sex or, you know, all sorts of things that, you know, as a teenager, even if I knew what that stuff was and I wanted to see it, I wouldn't be able to. There would be no way for me to see footage like that um, as a teenager because it just wasn't available. So it's, it's just a very different landscape today. And you talked about, you know, when we were kids, when we were teenagers, when we were growing up and talking about our kids now. So over the years, I mean, pornography has been around for, I don't know how long, but a for, long time, right? Well, yeah. Since we've had photography, um, which is, you know, about 120 years, but um, erotica, so sex depicted in art has been around for millions of years. And we see it in in almost every culture. There is ancient artifacts of you know, nudity, people having sex, you know, the caveman drawings that people sort of allude to. And so we've all, as human beings, there's always been this, you know, intense curiosity about sex and love and, um, and all of that working together because it is a huge driver 
of, of life. And, you know, I mean, it's all about eating and reproducing in terms of us as biological, biological creatures. And so it's only natural that we want to see, you know, we're interested in seeing other people have sex. We're interested in seeing naked people, um, certainly post puberty. That's, that is a pretty widely sort of known, um, in common experience, but it's just, it, it just looks very different today and, and looks very different in the past, you know, say 10 years than it has in the last 300. So is that what's causing an issue? Because as you're talking about it, I'm hearing, you know, for millions of years, this has happened and people are curious. This all sounds very natural, very normal to have this interest, this curiosity. And yet I also hear from various sources and even, you know, in your work too, you've pointed out that there are issues with our kids accessing pornography. So where, where is that settle when this is very natural and normal, but. (laughs) Yeah. So, so part of it is, is thought, is thought to have to do with that availability. So, you know, you used to have to travel to go see, you know, an X-rated movie peep show in a theater. So you might only see a few, a few of those, you know, in your lifetime. Or if you did have a magazine subscription, you had to prove that you were 18 years old. There were these kind of barriers so that it was used more in moderation and it was more about, you know, curiosity and entertainment. What we see now is, um, and it's very difficult and controversial because um, pornography addiction and sex addiction and, and all of that is, is, is very, very controversial within the scientific world. And, and so I'm not gonna necessarily comment on that, but there's certainly an agreement that one can use pornography in a problematic way or their pornography use can interfere with their relationships or their self-esteem or you know their ability to concentrate and things like that. And so with that prevalence comes the possibility of you know really problematic use where you're going to pornography anytime you have, anytime you're bored, anytime you have an unpleasant feeling. Anytime, you know, you think that you want to masturbate. And so there's, there's less of an opportunity or what my students in my human sexuality class undergrads report is there's just less of a need to, to seek out, you know, a sexual experience with another human being because they can experience so much online. And for some of them, it means that then they are scared and sort of ill-equipped to have sexual experiences and romantic relationships with real people because they're used to just watching it while masturbating, which is a completely different skill, right? So I joke that, you know, nobody's going to become great at sex by watching porn, just like nobody's going to become a great football player by watching the Super Bowl. Like it just does not work that way. And so um, what's interesting is that we have a lot of focus on, you know, the research and even in, in my research where we look at, you know, pornography use and risky sex or, or sexual risk taking among teens and, and young people. And certainly we do see less, I mean, we do see that associated with less condom use, 
um, when they do have sex. But there's also this piece of, of younger people, you know, this is the first generation of, of, of 20 somethings that are actually having less sex than prior generations. And there's a lot of concern about um, isolation and feelings of loneliness. And so it seems like what might've been intended as a sort of provocative entertainment, um, special occasion kind of a, a thing, pornography has for some people and for some, for some young folks sort of replaced or made um, real life sex more difficult. And do your students give you any indication or in the research, is there indication that maybe they're maybe a little afraid to seek out real life relationships and experiences like they can't live up to this you know you compared you compared um you know learning to have a healthy sexual relationship or getting good at it to being good at football and we've talked before mighty parenting about in other aspects of their world our kids are competing on a global scale and this concept kind of slid right in there too like they can't just be themselves and learn about this experience with someone that they're trying to live up to an actor performing it, which isn't even healthy, which isn't even a healthy sexual experience that they're watching probably. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's a really interesting way to, to think about it is yeah, it sort of creates these unrealistic expectations. And we do see that in the literature as well as, you know, I've seen it casually in my, in my classes um, that sometimes people feel like, wow, I could never, you know, last as long as that guy does, or, you know, I don't look as pretty as this, you know, woman does, or uh, what, you know, how am I supposed to do that? And so they, so they can have, can have feelings of, of inadequacy and, and yeah, maybe, maybe our sort of competitive culture that seems to, to keep getting more competitive, particularly for younger, younger kids. And um, maybe porn is, is the, is part of that sexual competition too. And, and that's the other thing we, kind of talk about, or we try to talk about, and, and I, in my classes, and I encourage parents to talk about is that, you know, sex isn't a competition. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure, especially for boys, heterosexual boys in particular, to, you know, have sex early and, and get a lot of girls and, um, and, and, you know, to be this like dominant sex figure. And that's just not, how that just never, never turns out well. And it's just an important thing to try to deescalate and to, to really talk about, you know, you will have reminding them that they will have access to sex their whole life. I mean, it'll, it seems amazing now and sex is amazing, but at a certain point, it'll also be so commonplace or mundane in your life that it won't be the most amazing thing ever. And so, it's important for you to sort of keep that in check. Like your worth does not rely on, you know, who you're having sex with and how much sex you're having. And, and same thing with, you know, heterosexual girls, there's a lot of pressure to get 
you know, a lot of boys to like them and to think that they're hot, but then there's a lot of punishment if they, if they, you know, actually engaged in sexual behavior with those boys. And so really understanding how helping young girls and, and teens also understand that, you know, rather, whether or not you have five or 10 guys that think you're hot does not determine your worth. And that there's so much more that's going on, you know, in your life that you can bring to a relationship. And that at the end of the day, you know, sex is about communication. It's about two people connecting and pornography is really, you know, really doesn't show that part of it, partly because the majority of pornography is, um, you know, they're paid actors, but even in the amateur porn that we see that's becoming more popular online, um, it's typically posted by people who aren't necessarily, you know, in love or respect the partner that they're in the video with. And so unfortunately, that also normalizes and makes coercive sex or um, even intoxicated sex more visible and it appears to be real because it's in an amateur category. And so there's just a lot of de-escalation that needs to happen. So really, really focusing on that communication piece and, and really helping teens understand that, you know, when sex is healthy and your relationship is healthy, things happen pretty slowly, you know, sex, going from kissing to other sexual behaviors that, you know, develops slowly. Um, you're talking the whole time that you're doing it. You're checking in with each other verbally and non-verbally and really sort of giving them those, you know, really specific pieces of information because not only are they getting this sort of, you know, exaggerated WWF version of sex online, but they're also being exposed to a bunch of amateur pornography that they think is real sex and might look like real sex, but is it's still not the kind of, of sex that we would want, you know, our children to have when they're when they're ready to have it in the contexts that they're they're ready to do it in. So um yeah, there's so much there's just so much to talk about and, and so and so many um, unfortunate messages that have to be have to be addressed now perhaps more than they ever have before. Well it sounds like maybe one place to start is talking to our kids about the difference between pornography and sex. Just listening yes. to you talk here there's a dis definitely a distinction. Yes. And, our, and I'm hearing you say that our kids don't necessarily understand there's a distinction. Right. So, you know, one of the, the, the more easier distinctions that you can make, although it's still perhaps not, you know, common conversations, but when we learn about, you know, advertising uh, teens today and even middle schoolers, you know, a lot of them have are in social studies and, and internet safety classes are taught about advertising and how websites make money and things like that. So when you know, you know, explaining to them that this website exists to get people to visit it so that not only do they get a lot of traffic for advertising, but that they can sell our 
personal data, um, especially if it's accessed on a mobile device, they can sell you know, our data to these advertisers and that's what it's about. And so at, when anything is turned into making profit, it's, you know, it's called the commodification of, so it is the commodification of sex, sex turned into a product. And so that means that it is, it needs to be really exciting. It needs to be um, shocking. It needs to be intense. It needs to, because because it needs to drive traffic to, to those sites. And that sex is about communication and it's about pleasure and having fun with somebody. And whether or not you're, and, and that can and that can also, so you can start that conversation of the difference or of how, you know, porn is a business, it's a commodification of sex. And then really talk about your sexual values. It doesn't need to all happen in the same conversation, but really talking about how um, what you want for them and their relationship. So some parents, you know, it's very clear. They're like, I don't want, you know, they think there's no way nobody's having sex before marriage and that's fine. It's, it's very rare, but, um, for teens who do wait and, and adults who wait until marriage, they have really strong ideas about who they are and what they're going to be in the world and they have the skills and the vocabulary to be able to engage in, in kissing or touching, but not in, you know, oral sex or penetrative sex. And so your kids need a lot of skills, right, to, to navigate these experiences. And so, you know, talking about when you would like them to have sex or with whom, is it a committed partner? Is it somebody you're engaged with? Is it somebody you're living with? Is it just somebody who you have mutual respect for? Um, so one of the things I talked with my college students about is, you know, we talk about hookup culture and, and they believe, and I, and I agree that there are ways to have sex with people whom, you know, you don't know very well, but who you trust and they trust you and you respect each other. And it's about connection in the moment. Now that doesn't work for a lot of folks. And I know that's really scary to think about for your own teens or 20 somethings, but they need, they need the encouragement to, I think they need the encouragement to understand that, that that person you're having sex with is a human being and they have feelings and they're deserving of respect. And it's, and you can be connected with them enough in that moment that you're not going to pressure them to do things they don't want to do, that you yourself are not going to engage in stuff that you don't want to do, and that you really, really are emphasizing that mutual connection because that's something we can have influence over. Unfortunately, we can't have a whole lot of influence over who our children have sex with or when they start having sex, but we can give them clues about what that should look like if they're in a safe and, and healthy, you know, context of doing it. Okay. So we need to, number one, talk to them about sex, which I'll add a link in the show notes to an episode that we did specifically about talking to your kids about sex, because that ties in here. And then we don't have to spend time in this show 
repeating some of those things. And it seems like that conversation might be a little bit easier for parents. I, you know, there are a lot of parents who that's going to be really hard for. And yet that could also be a stepping stone to porn conversations, especially when our kids are older. I think when they're a little younger, it's different. I was talking to one mom who had introduced her boys to the concept of pornography when, I don't mean little, little, but not mm -hmm. high school kids. And she said that she'd talked to them about this concept of, you know, that it was out there and, and I don't know all the detail, but, but what struck me and what stuck with me is she said, it's because she says, this isn't about sex and relationship and love. She said, it's kind of like, you've never had ice cream. And someone is like, oh my gosh, ice cream is the best thing ever. But in order to enjoy ice cream, you have to have 12 people together and you all got to be wearing costumes and you need to be able to do somersaults and stand on your head. And then you can have a little bit of ice cream, but you have to have this kind and that kind, and you got to mix these two together. And, and if you don't do it this way, it's just not going to be any fun. And then when you go to have ice cream for the first time, instead of being, oh my gosh, cause I'm sorry, but we all know ice cream is actually amazing. Right. 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 <laughs> and, but you go to have it and you're like, oh, am I doing it right? I mean, but, and this seems good, but I can't possibly be enjoying it. It must be better if I did it this other way. Right. And it was just such an interesting idea to be able to really bring in that humor and stuff. And I think that as our kids get older, if we haven't had these conversations, that it can get harder and feel more awkward. Absolutely. So, so yeah, that's, that's another point to consider is that if you, if you're having, you know, multiple conversations early and often ish, um, about bodies and, and, you know, where babies come from, but then also, you know, about sex and the fact that it is fun and pleasurable and it's not all, um, you know, about making babies and so that they're, so that then they're prepared to understand like, oh, wow. So that's why people are doing all this crazy stuff in porn, but that isn't something that I that I should expect from my experiences. The other piece that I'm reminded to, to talk about that you hit on is if there is that they're seeing porn before they're having sex. So that's another thing that's different is, you know, when we were younger and in prior generations, you would have those awkward kisses, hand-holding sessions, um, you know, depending on your experiences, you know, with touching and, and, and other sexual behaviors were awkward. And, you know, if you're in it, they were done with a friend or a boyfriend, hopefully, or a girlfriend, hopefully they were in a situation where you felt safe, but you're sort of, you know, you're so excited and you have the sweaty palms about it because you don't know what to expect. You haven't seen it yet. Whereas today, what we're sort of concerned about is that if, if somebody's been watching porn since they were 11, and then by the time they're 16, which is the average age at first sexual experience in um, America, and say they've got five years of watching porn and masturbating to that, or even if it's just two years, that's seeing a lot of different stuff before you've engaged. So we're worried that people are sort of playing this script in their head, like, oh, it's supposed to go like this. 
you know, instead of just really being in the moment and focusing on the person in front of you. Yeah. And another piece that um, you had mentioned, or actually I, I read your PDF that I know you share, and we'll make sure we give a link to that too. But one of the things you talk about there is you say, regardless of your own perspective on the rightness or wrongness of porn, if you are intensely emotional, it can create intense shame. Shame and sex are a toxic combo that too many know all too well. And we aren't shamed into better behaviors. We just become better at keeping those behaviors secret. And a lot of what we're talking about today are things that depending on, on each family and, and each member of a family, depending on their values, their views around it. You know, you shared some of yours with us today. I have some different views on it. Everyone here has their own take on these things. Mm-hmm. And yet you bring it to this place of it doesn't, to some degree, it doesn't matter what your values are in the fact that it needs to be discussed in order to bring it out of a field of shame. Right. Right. Yes, absolutely. So we, you know, every, there aren't, there aren't two families that have the same values. Everybody's values, um, you know, they, they go way beyond abstinence or no abstinence. I mean, there's so many things in between and, and ideas that we have about, relationships and people and, and, and how different things can, can go about. Unfortunately, what we, we also know is that, you know, teenagers and young adults, they have their own values too, that are separate from their parents. Sometimes they're the same values that their parents have, and sometimes they're different. So the best thing we can do is show our children love and respect and try to be as calm as we can about these things as we're saying what we hope for them, what we want for them, but doing it in such a way that the the message they're receiving is I'm okay. What, what I'm going to do in my relationships, you know, my parents care about how my relationships are going to unfold. They care about my health they care about my well-being because if we if we don't want them to engage in any of this stuff because i mean let's be honest who wants their you know their teenage kid you know going out and you know having all these experiences that are super scary this is like this is not what most parents want but we have to also recognize that you know the majority of people have had 80% of teenagers have had sex by the age of 18 years old and so that's a reality that they might face. And as scary as that is, we want to make sure that when we communicate our values, that they are not sending the message that if I catch you watching porn, or if I learn that you're having sex, you will be grounded for six months, or you will be, you know, we will be so disappointed in you because that shame, you know, then creates more and more reason to, to do all of this stuff in secrecy. And you want to make sure that you are, you know, an approachable enough parent. I have a a post about this on my blog as well, but you're an approachable enough parent that, you know, if they were sexually coerced or victimized, or if their best friend, you know, perpetrated sexual violence or something, or somebody was pregnant and, and needed help through that situation that, 
your kids would feel like I can talk to my mom about it. I know that she'll help us figure it out instead of, oh, my mom is really nervous and scared whenever we talk about anything to do with sex. So let's not talk to her because she'll probably have a heart attack. You know, we, we want to make sure that, and that's easier said than done. And, um, but yeah, it's okay to have, it's okay to have more, you know, stricter conservative values, but still send a message that, um, you, you love your kid and you, and you, you know, no, nobody ever grew up and said, wow, you know, my parents were just so supportive. It really screwed me up, you know, like people who have really supportive parents and feel really comfortable with them tend to make better decisions about health and sexuality and relationships. Anyway, they tend to, to delay sex longer. They tend to do, um, you know, they tend to, to watch less pornography, you know, kids that feel like they don't have a close relationship with their parents are more likely to engage in, in risk-taking behaviors. So, yeah. So if we're listening and we have never discussed pornography with our 16, 18, 20, 25 year old, it's a for many of us, I know for me, I'm thinking about this. I have two in their twenties and this is not a place I went. I just, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Call me bad parent, call it ignorance, call it putting my head in the sand, just not being aware, not thinking. And that's one of the reasons I thought it was so important to do the show is just to have this awareness. You know, part of it is just this feeling of, well, you know, there's the stuff that was around when we were kids and it's, it's not that big of a deal. Like, you know, you keep an eye out and da, 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 da. Anyhow, now we've just found out is no, it's not what was around when we were kids. Yes, just like so many of the other things that, you know, technology can create addiction with, this is something that can create an addiction. It is something that can impact their ability to have a healthy relationship. It can have detrimental impacts. So we definitely need to have this conversation with our kids. Do you have suggestions for starting that with essentially adults, young adults? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, there's no great way to start a conversation with anybody about pornography. Like even when you, even, you know, on a, maybe a podcast, maybe a podcast <laughs> is the only, <laughs> the only context that you can start off a conversation that's not going to be awkward about pornography, but um, and so I think, you know, the first thing I sort of tell parents to do is just to get informed and just to get into your own space, you know, talk to your spouse, a sibling, a friend, you know, just about like, Hey, so I listened to this podcast and now I'm kind of freaked out. Like, have you talked to your kids about porn and are you aware of how much porn has changed? Like, what do you, what do you, what's your take on it? Just so you can kind of get a little bit of your butterflies out because it can be really like, I've had a lot of practice talking about this kind of stuff. And so it's not, you know, uncomfortable anymore, but you know, even I had a really difficult time talking about any of this stuff. I don't even think I could say the word vagina until I was like 26 years old. And so I think without blushing. So I think having some conversations first with friends and spouses and doing a little bit of research you certainly can read, you know, my blog and on my website, veganmoms.com. 
Um, there's other books and resources out there. And then, you know, when you want to have a conversation with them, you can bring it up as in a, hey, you know, I'm sorry, we never talked about this. I feel I just learned a lot more about it. And I just feel like you deserved more information back then, or you at least deserve to know that, that I knew what was going on. And I wish, you know, I wish that we would have had those conversations and kind of see what they say. You know, usually with a 20 something year old, they're not as um, because they're not under your rule as much anymore. They're, they tend to not be as disarmed by, by an I'm sorry, but for middle schoolers and high schoolers, if their parents apologize to them, it feels just like amazing to them because they <laughs> feel like, you know, mom and dad make mistakes too. And so that can kind of de-escalate and then sort of understanding, try to assess what their knowledge is. You know, some teens haven't seen porn just because it's really prevalent and the majority of teens will see it. Um, they might've only seen it in a context on the school bus or at a party or something. They might, they could very well not be one of the kids that's accessing it, you know, every day on their iPad or whatever, but just kind of getting a sense of what they've seen and then asking them how they talk to their friends about it. So that also deescalates, right? So instead of, you know, in, in, interrogating them about, well, what do you know? And do you know about, you know, the violence that's in porn or the exploitation that happens in porn or the fact that you could use, you know, porn to a point where, um, you know, you might have a hard time feeling aroused with the person. So instead of going there first, kind of saying like, what do your friends talk about this? Like, what is the norm? Does everybody think it's cool to use porn? you're in a relationship? Do you think you're going to use porn when you're married? Like just sort of asking them a bunch of questions. Just in a conversational way, you can sort of gauge what their own attitudes are, what they think the social norms are in their groups. So even with my human sexuality, you know, college students, there's a certain portion of them that are like, oh yeah, porn is horrible. Um, I am like, would never date anybody who uses it. Like it messes with your head. And some of them are like, what? Like, this is, this is the most amazing thing ever. And, you know, they don't really know anything about it. You know, others just haven't used it. So there's a wide range of attitudes, opinions, and experiences with it. Even if it seems super scary, like, oh my gosh, everybody in the world is using porn now because these websites have so much traffic. Um, you might be surprised. And of course, don't expect that they're going to be telling you, um, you know, their experiences with porn to a certain degree. You know, you don't want to necessarily make them feel pressured to talk to you about those experiences, but just sort of just your, what your, your goal is, is, is that you're sending the message that, hey, I'm here to talk about this thing, or hey, this thing is not so scary for you to talk about with your partner. I think that's the big thing that you're modeling. So you don't need to know all the facts about porn and you don't need to know all of their experiences with it. And, but particularly if you, if you are, if you have a daughter, 
a heterosexual da daughter and just encouraging her and, and letting her know that it's okay to talk about this kind of stuff with a partner and to have feelings about it if you're not comfortable with it. Um, that that isn't something that just has to happen in a relationship because I think a lot of young people feel like they just, if their partner uses it, then they, they themselves have to get over being uncomfortable with it. That they can't say like, that's a boundary that I have. And so encouraging like being able to, to, to say, hey, I'm bringing this up with you because I can talk about it now, even though I didn't before. But I also wanna make sure that this isn't something you have to deal with in your relationships. I want you to have open communication with your, you know, your partner. And if we've been having conversations just about either relationships or sex, we can also continue to piggyback off of those conversations because what I'm hearing from you is a lot of the concern around pornography is the way it impacts people in real life, in their relationships, in their sexual relationships, in their ability to emotionally connect with a person. Right. Yeah. So piggybacking, yeah, off of those other conversations and, you know, just encouraging them that, you know, as this becomes more and more prevalent, it's still not something that's used by everybody under the sun. And so it's still one of those things that if you're not comfortable with it, it, it doesn't mean you're a weirdo. Um, but you know, you might have, there's parents who have, I've talked with who have very different values who think that, you know, any type of pornography is fine. And so it's going to depend on what your, your values are, but I think modeling that this is something that can be talked about and that you should talk about with people you're going to be in a relationship with, because I think the problems that we see, at least in the relationship research and the, in the marital research and the, the couples and pornography research, where it really goes wrong and causes problems is when one person is using pornography, but nobody's talking about it. So usually the, the conversations around, you know, and understanding, is this something we want in our relationship? If so, what does that look like? Is it something that we only use together? Is it something that is only used if somebody's out of town? Like what are the boundaries around it? And sort of normalizing those conversations. Well, and I love that you said, you know, for us to get a little experience discussing it with a friend or another parent or a partner and by going, you know, I listen to this podcast because I always tell parents, many parents, I'm like, blame it on me. I heard yeah. Sandy <laughs> talking about this stuff on this podcast. And again, too, that is something that we can mention to our kids. Just like go, yeah, I, me. Right, I heard this <laughs> podcast and I had no idea. I do that with a lot of different subjects with my kids. When I find out about something, I'm like, okay, I just found out about this and Mom was clueless. I had no idea that whatever, like even right. dating apps, right? Like I didn't know there were apps for this and apps for that. And my girls just look at me and go, oh yeah. I'm like, well, educate me, <laughs> which, 
you know, get, just puts them off their guard. They're, you know, they don't have shields up going, oh, she's attacking us. They get to be in that role of educator, which our kids love, just like they love hearing us apologize. Yep. And it also informs us about what they do know. It, not necessarily that they're going to immediately spill all their experiences around whatever topic, and but it, it really starts to give you a barometer of what they know. So feel free, mighty parents, blame it on me on the podcast. I am good with that. And Megan, I, there are a number of other questions that I had. However, I also knew that you covered a lot of it in the um in the, the booklet that you share. So for parents who want a little more help or a little more information, want to understand more about what porn is today, that's all in there. So could you share your website and how they would get that from you? Yeah. So if you go to meganmoz.com, um, you'll be prompted to ask if you want to sign up for my email on my mailing list. And so if you, if you give your name and email, then you'll receive this little mini ebook PDF on how to, to talk to kids about porn and how to prepare for those conversations and, and what to say in those conversations. Um, the other thing you can do that I've had parents contact me about is they've shared my uh, TED talk with their teens or college students and that's kind of helped spark some conversation. And so if you just put my name into YouTube and TED talk, uh, you'll come across it and that might might help get conversations going too. Okay. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, along with a couple of other episodes that we've done that have tangential ties about having conversations with our kids. Um, and your website is M-E-G-A-N-M-A-A-S, M-E-G-A-N-M-A-A-S, which of course will also have a link in the show notes. Megan, thank you so much for enlightening us, or at least enlightening me, because I, before I read your PDF and had this conversation with you, I really did not understand what the state of pornography was today. So I appreciate that along with the advice of how to be that safe harbor for our kids to be able to have that, that space where we can be someplace for them to come and hopefully then still be able to guide. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's just so wonderful that you're doing this podcast and just supporting parents. You know, like you said, it's not, you know, you don't have to know all this, the stats and statistics and facts, you know, just modeling to your kids that like, Hey, this is, this is a thing that's out there and it's okay to talk about it. Even though I have a hard time talking about it, it's because everybody in the world has a hard time talking about it. And I just want to make sure that, that you're able to talk about it. And, you know, so that you can experience relationships in their, their full glory. Well, Mighty Parents, thank you for joining us today and for being part of the Mighty, Par Mighty Parenting family. Remember that if you're here, you're listening, you are Mighty Parent. You got this. And I will see you next week. <laughs>